Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Go to mercurymile.com, enter your preferences and sizes, and you will get a box of curated running goodies sent to you where you'll keep what you love. You send back what you don't. It's just so easy. They have a bag. You put the stuff in the bag, seal it, put it back in the mailbox. You're done. That's as simple as it gets. And the prices are great. They're adding new stuff all the time, and if you go onto their website, you can also sign up for their newsletter so you can keep abreast of all the new stuff and all the sales. So you go to MercuryMile.com, again, use code RamblingRunner10, you can save 10 bucks at checkout. So today's episode is with Connie Shea. Connie is one of the, just the one of the... I would say one of, if not maybe, the brightest person that's come on this show, which is saying a lot. We've had some very, very smart people on this show, far smarter than the hosts, Lord knows. <laughs> but I think Connie might take the cake. So she is one very smart, level-headed lady who can really just, she awed me in terms of her mindset and approach to running and we dive into just her running history, um, cultural influences that affected the beginning of her, her athletic career and going, and then we just kind of go all the way through. And I just love her approach to running and life and just all things. I love following her on Instagram. She's one of my favorite follows that I actually, I even talk about that during the episode and I can't recommend that strongly enough. So uh, if I were you, I would follow her as well. In the meantime, I do want to give one other quick shout out before we dive into the episode to Lowell Running Company. If you are looking for a coach, you want to achieve the best things possible in your running. Having somebody to work with can really be a great unlock, and Lowell Running Company is a great way to do that. Um, they just have wonderful coaches. Ruben Sansa, Nate Jenkins, Kevin Beck, and Jill Chisholm, as well as myself. And uh, if you can go to lolrunning.com, you can sign up. It's a great deal and will help you reach the heights that you want to get to and maybe even higher. So I hope you like this episode with Connie Shea. Hello, Connie, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. I've been excited to chat with you for a while, so I appreciate your patience over the last week or so. <laughs> I've been juggling some some doctor's appointments and things, and uh, I really appreciate your flexibility, and thanks for coming on. Absolutely. It's such an honor, and I'm all about the flexibility. There you go. So you're, you're on, a, you're on a, a break week this week from work, so this is like the perfect time to get you, and you got the two little kids at home, so I appreciate it. How are they doing? They are doing great. Um, the big one is just getting over a cold. Um, it's definitely cold and flu season. So he's he's been in and out of school. And then the little one, though, she's just maybe it's a second born thing. Um, she's just so chill about everything, which is great. I love that. So I follow your your Instagram stories are like one of the ones that like I'm always on to. So like, you know, like the IG stories, they'll like populate. I think like the ones that you click on the most will always come up first in the order right. so you're always like right at the first because i love like the baby memes that you do <laughs> with your with your little one your little girl you know it's, it's like it's i think they're hysterical but um so they're always they're always they always make me laugh pretty good so i can imagine it being a little frustrating when you have the older one sick and making sure or trying to make sure that the little one doesn't uh doesn't catch it of course. Um, and, you know, it really is her time. My son, he's four now. He had his chance to be the star of all of my um, Internet attempts to make him famous um, or attempts to make him Internet famous. Rather, um, he had a little Tumblr. I think it's still up. It's called Baby Plots and Thoughts. I made it back when he was an infant. And it was a way to keep myself amused when staring through, like, all of the pictures I would take throughout the day. I would always get some really funny-looking faces. And 
So I just create little meme things out of them. Um, should uh, try to find it. I'll send you a link sometime. <laughs> no, I'm definitely be into that. That's for sure. And you better send it soon. Cause is Tumblr even around anymore? I thought they uh, closed that down. Uh, barely. Barely. <laughs> maybe, maybe fingers crossed that I can still dig it up. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on because we, we shared a, um, a text exchange a few weeks ago that was fascinating to me. And as soon as we had it, I wanted to have you on anyway. Um, just, I think yeah, I've been following your running for a while, but when we had that exchange, it's like, all right, I gotta get Connie on now. Like, this is amazing. So part of that exchange was just talking about the origins of your running in relation to family expectations. So can you just set the scene a little bit in terms of like, where your parents came from and how sport, or athletics were viewed in just their cultural lens? Sure. Uh, my parents are from Taiwan and they came to America for grad school. Um, and they always emphasize to me and also my younger sister that education was key. And there are a lot of things that you can, um, that you may not be able to have over time, like, you know, athletic prowess and whatnot. Um, but something that nobody can take away from you is a degree. And so they always said, well, go to college, um, go to grad school. If you want the day, that's where you can find a lot of security. Um, I just, I, I remember my first timed mile in fourth grade. It was for state fitness testing. And I ran something like an 832 and I beat like all the two boys in my grade. And I just thought to myself, well, this is really fun. And I remember my parents were like, eh, no, maybe not so much with the sports. Uh, go play piano. Piano's great. Piano is something that is not going to injure you. Um, and so do that. And so I kept up the piano. They let me take ballet lessons, but they really never, they never really told me, go pick up a sport. The running thing was just something that came up once a year when we had state fitness testing and we had to run a timed mile. And in fifth grade, I think I improved by over a minute. It was like a 720 something. And obviously this is in grade school. There was no training. There was also no track team um, that I could join locally that I was aware of in Cupertino, California, home of Apple computers. Um, and my parents, they were like, okay, that's cool. So you like to run. We're going to not make a big deal out of this. And from their background, they also come from a place where people just don't emphasize exercise, um, and fitness the same way. Um, they also definitely don't view women exercising and women running and women um, having muscle tone and whatnot is something that's very attractive, which I experienced later on in high school, um, the few times that I went back to Taiwan and tried to just hop onto local high school tracks. Um, the air quality is not super great in certain parts of Taiwan. And so I think that plays a huge part of it too. Um, but at the end of the day, I just kept sneaking out of the house to run in middle school and it got to the point where my parents finally said, you know what? It's just safer for you to run with the team. Fine. Go join cross country, get your energy out, but make sure you keep your grades up because you're going to college and not for running. Yeah. God forbid. Um, so, cause you're, you're one heck of a runner and you still are. So when you, when you spent a lot of time thinking about the origins of why your parents held those views, you know, two very you know, well-educated people, as you mentioned, they were coming to the United States for graduate school. Um, when you kind of delved into that, what were the parts that you could wrap your head around versus parts that just like, you just couldn't understand their reasoning? I think the part about how women's bodies are viewed, like muscles not being attractive, being strong is not being attractive. That's what I just could not connect with at all. Um, I think a lot of it came from just the rush of beating so many boys in fourth and fifth grade in this uh, timed mile where I just felt, but I'm so capable. Why wouldn't this be a good thing? Um, and so I, I never saw eye to eye with my parents about, about just 
again, women's bodies um, being strong and capable. Um, as for the education piece, I never argued with them on that. Um, I think the the most I rebelled was becoming a literature major instead of going into something that they thought might give me more um, security job-wise. They were hoping, my mom was hoping that maybe lit might turn into going to law school later on, which didn't happen. Um, and my dad, on the other hand, was like, well, you know what, you'll, you'll figure things out. Just pick up skills as you go along. Um, I support what you want to do as long as you are going to continue your education. Um, so again, didn't fight them on the education piece, but definitely had some, had some issues with seeing my own body image, um, versus how they might see, um, how women's bodies should be. I remember my mom one time saying to me, just don't bulk up. It's just not attractive. It doesn't look good. It's not pretty. And I remember being very resentful about that. And do you, how much of that resentment stemmed from your initial success in running? Um, I think I, it wasn't necessarily just running. I think running clicked because again, it was something that I felt, wow, I can, I can do this. This is great. Um, especially because my parents didn't put me in sports. They didn't put me in any of the local soccer teams or, um, any club sport for kids. And so I was, I was just looking for something. Um, ballet just was okay. It wasn't really cutting it. Um, and so I don't know that it was just resentment of like, I'm doing well in running and why won't you let me continue this? I think it was more of a resentment that like, why won't you just let me participate in any sport? It's so normal. Other kids are doing it. Why am I not doing this? So did you have any friends whose kind of family histories or backgrounds uh, were similar to your own insofar as just like the, the family legacy of maybe more focus on education as opposed to trying to divert someone into athletics versus trying to kind of marry, marry the, both of them as just you know, pursuits that you can you know, go after that aren't necessarily influencing one another? Sure. Um, I remember that when we first moved to Cupertino, so my parents, um, they, they, when they had me, we were living in South San Francisco. And so that's where I was born, lived there for a few years. And then my mom started looking for great school districts. And that's how we wound up in Cupertino and Cupertino back in 91, 92, the schools were, um, you know, the, the majority um, demographic in schools was white Caucasian. And so most of my friends at the time were white. And then, then later on, um, the demographics started changing. Um, I believe the wall street journal had an article in 2005 or 2006 called the new white flight. It was basically about how, um, a lot of white Caucasian families were moving out of the Cupertino schools and going to places like, Los Gatos, Palo Alto, um, and then Asians became the majority demographic in our schools. And so by the time I was in high school cross country, it was very mixed. It was pretty diverse. And for all, all of my friends that were really great, really talented runners, and we made it to state as a team um, starting, I want to say, was a sophomore in high school for the first time in a while we made it to state as a team and then that continued for a few years very few of my friends went to college on running scholarships um and so i believe that a lot of us had the same kind of family value of education and downplayed the athletics um the athletic pursuits Got it. And I'd heard that before. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, broad brush here, but I, that, that, that traditionally with Asian families who are maybe first generation in the United States with a, especially with girls, you know, kind of really deprioritizing or in some cases discouraging athletic involvement. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you know, kind of juxtaposing that with, I even saw this 
from in when I was in college. So I went to Vassar College, which is in Poughkeepsie, New York. And I remember talking to one of my professors who would often I'd often play basketball with. And, he, and he'd say, like, hey, I, you know, the other faculty members don't want to see this because they think that you can't be someone who basically, you know, cares about your body, but also cares about your mind. It was kind of like this path that like you're either on one side or the other, as opposed right. to something that you can kind of combine the two. So as you progress through high school and you became more and more just involved in running and athletics, did, did things start to shift at home or was it just kind of a topic that didn't really get broached? It was something that we didn't really talk about. It was like, a, okay, great. You're running. Okay. Uh, you have a meet. Do we have to drive you? No. Okay. They, my, I, my parents just let me do it, but they were not especially invested. I think in my running, my sister who is four years younger had the benefit though of having an older sister who are, who already fought the battles of like, let me do a sport, just let me run. So it, I think it was a little bit easier. And this is assumption, an assumption on my part, but from what I perceived, she had an easier time than four years later entering high school and joining the track team. She went to, I think, um, sectionals for hurdling and was pretty good at it. And I think by then my parents were worn down and they were more supportive. Again, they did not really want her to pursue um, the athletic thing above anything else, above education, but they did show up to more of the meets. Um, and I think it was just easier to say, okay, well, this, these, this is her season. This is when she's going to be doing a lot of the track meet stuff and we'll go and figure out a way to be supportive of it for the bigger meets. So for a lot of kids, especially kind of like middle school age or, you know, an early teenager, you often find this, this dichotomy of like, you're obviously not independent yet, but you want to feel independence. It's like why, like for a lot of kids, like their bike will be like this symbol of independence, right? They can like get on their bike and just go. And then like two minutes later, they're away from home. Did you ever experience that from a running perspective where like this was, you know, independence for you because it was something that was purely your own and it wasn't something that you were basically the opposite now that you see a lot of kids get pushed into sports because they have overzealous parents and things like that, where you're, your athletic background was almost the opposite of that, where it was almost purely self-driven. I do. I think that it's really powerful when choice is involved. Um, I, I, struggle this, I struggle with this a little bit because my son is four and I'm obviously trying to figure out a way to introduce a wide variety of activities to him. Um, but I think there comes a time where the kid just really wants to do what the kid wants to do. And I'm trying to learn as a parent, like at what point do I figure out how to back off to give my, my kid some freedom to breathe um, and maybe rebel in like a safe, more controlled kind of way. Um, obviously I, I did not do it the safest way. Just lacing up my shoes and heading out um, seems great in theory, but we lived in we lived in Cupertino where it's the border between Cupertino and Saratoga. And there are lots of great running trails. There are also some mountain lions and coyotes and also sometimes some very territorial deer that like to come out. So just from wildlife alone, I think that there were some risks involved. My mom also was terrified of things like me getting hurt um, and kidnapped. And there have obviously been some pretty scary news stories um, the last few years of female runners getting um, harmed. Um, and so I, I don't think that my mom's fears were unfounded. That said, again, I go back to this idea that I do think it's really important to figure out what clicks with the person. And that's really something that can only come from just time and space to do so. And now when you were in middle school and high school, how much of the, you know, it's not, not parent interaction on a day-to-day -day basis, but just generally speaking, how much of that push was like to go to college, to get into a good college? A lot of it. My mom 
worked in school districts for something like 30 years. Um, she was an assistant superintendent. She was always on the financial side of um, education as a business. And so she was obviously super plugged in and very much an advocate for a quality public school education. And so I remember when I was applying to college in high school, um, obviously senior year, there's a lot of excitement and also anticipation and some fear brewing. My mom and dad, they basically said, well, go to a university of California and really choose Berkeley, Los Angeles, or San Diego. And I was like, okay, but if I get in, it's super competitive. And, um, I didn't get into Berkeley, UCLA. Um, I applied as both a music and English major. And as a music major, I had to send in uh, a CD of my piano performance. And so obviously piano continued way into high school and beyond. Um, and then I decided that I didn't want to go to UCLA because UCLA accepted me as a music major, but not as an English major. And I got pretty upset about that. And so I was like, well, no, I don't like LA anyway. And San Diego seems so <laughs> far away. It is so close to Mexico. I thought to myself, well, you know what? California is so big. This is the farthest I can get away from home that is okay with my parents. It is a UC. It is a public university. We're good. We're good. Checks all the boxes for both mom, dad, and um, then of course there's me. Mom and dad are a unit. I was on the opposing side. On the opposing side. Well, I, at least you were able to be on the same side when it came to UC schools and then you pick a great one. And I mean, talk about, you know, it's like the bastion of like the, the, the triathlon scene right. in San Diego. Right. It's unbelievable weather. I actually lived in Coronado for a summer nice. after college and then lived out in Poway for a couple months after that. And it, it was summer months, so it was pretty wild, but it was definitely a beautiful area. So when you went to college, which was obviously the focal point of a lot of your upbringing, when you got there, was it one of those, like, what happens when the dog finally catches the car type situations? Or was it just kind of like a normal progression from the academic and athletic and just other pursuits? Um, it was a really good experience to be in San Diego. At first, I was super upset to be in San Diego because my whole, I'll show them, I'm so far away from home kind of backfired. I did get very homesick my first year and I swore I would transfer, but I took too many classes my first year. I took five to seven classes per quarter and I... Good grief, Connie. Holy well, God. so I was a literature major, but I also, I really love math and science. And I also ha apparently, despite being a literature major, have no ability to read a course catalog. And I thought that physics 1A was like the easiest physics class I could possibly take. And I didn't realize that it's not that easy if it comes with a lab. And so I took all these classes and I did apply to transfer I thought, well, maybe I'll do more of the parent-pleasing thing. I'll, I'll transfer to Berkeley or Los Angeles. Both options are closer to home. And the problem, though, was I got rejected from transfer for transfer despite having a really competitive GPA because I had senior standing um, units-wise by the time that my application was in. And so neither university could really claim that much credit for my coursework because I had done so much at UC San Diego. But um, like I said, it was a really ex good experience for me to be there, not just because I had this chance to grow into a fledgling adult there. Um, I met my husband, now husband, um, right around the time that we both graduated back in 2009 um, and I ran my first marathon in San Diego is the rock and roll San Diego and just overall had so many other really, really amazing experiences just being there. Oh, that's awesome. And how long after graduation did you run the marathon? So I ran, I ran the marathon back in 2000, 
I want to say 2008. Um, wow. So, so you, was, while you were a student. So while I was a student, I didn't really follow a training plan. Um, I was, I guess, self-coached. We'll call it being self-coached back then. I just made stuff up. Um, I'm still self-coached, but I'm less of a noob as it, at it, as I would say. Um, back then, I, was, I just thought, well, if the secret sauce is just, you know, going out for runs every day, that's fine. I'm already doing that. I just need to make them longer. So that's all I did. That was my plan. All I do is just make my runs longer. And so I did that as a student, and I... I definitely ran um, a very well-worn path between um, University Town Center that stretched all the way down towards like Pacific Beach. Um, and I would just do an out and back almost every single day. And then for my long runs, I would run over along the shore of La Jolla and just go up and down, up and down the hills there. And it was okay. It wasn't the most interesting. I was doing so many of those runs by myself because at that point I was really burnt out from high school cross country. I think because of the lack of emphasis on sports and, um, and sports competition and mindset when I was growing up, I quite frankly, wasn't really sure how to really take it all in as a high school athlete. And so I loved my coaches in, in cross country, but I definitely struggled with a lot of anxiety, um, before any kind of major race. And I would get a lot of, and that manifested in a lot of nightmares around racing, um, showing up without my shoes, showing up without my uniform, showing up two hours late. Um, those were basically all of my nightmares. And so was your fear more personal based or like letting down your team? It's a little bit of both. I think it was just not knowing exactly what to do with um, the mental preparation behind a race. And so by the time I got to college, I was, I remember thinking, well, I'm not good enough to run for the university. And honestly, I, I don't think I really want to compete for a while. So I just didn't compete. I just ran on my own. I continued to run almost every single day. And then when I ran this marathon, it was just because I thought, well, I think I want to do this. It's a bucket list item. I might as well do it before I'm horribly old at the age of 25 because, you know, I was in college and I thought 25 was super old. (laughs) That's classic. And now I actually, uh, to my, to my surprise, there are actually a, a pretty good number of college students that listen to this podcast. And when you were going through that, and you're, you know, you were self-coaching, um, as you put it, kind of in a way. But you know, you had this cross-country background. If you could go back and do it again, but feeling the same things you felt from a competition perspective, and you know, wanting to on some level take it slow, but also pursue something that you wanted to do and try to find that middle ground. What advice would you give, you know, either to your former self or someone who's going through that now? I would say that if you feel like it's not fun. I then take a step back, um, whether that's taking a step back from running on a team running competitively or just maybe taking a step back from running at all. If it's not fun, I just don't think that it's worth to just push yourself through. And I think that the long break from running with people for a very long time was really healthy for me. I didn't run... I didn't really race for like a good almost decade after high school. And I think that even though that's a really, really long break from running competitively and trying to figure out, you know, what are your personal records and how to meet those goals? I think it was really good for me mentally to come back to racing with a different kind of mindset. Like, Hey, this is just for fun. And if this is a hobby, I can still want to make this, as awesome and as fulfilling and find how to improve myself as best as I can. But the only way that I could come back to it with that kind of more positive mindset with all the anxiety dreams, it was by taking a step back from running competitively and from running from a team. Now, how would that differ between taking, say, taking away the the competitions, taking away being, having a team rely on you, 
But then, you know, say, I know you're part of a running group now that's very active. We're in, I can't wait to talk about that. But to say you had been a part of a running group, just a casual running group back in college, do you think you would have still been able to, uh, you know, kind of attain that mental shift that you ended up acquiring? Or do you think that that would have held you back a little bit? I think it would have held me back. I I was a little bit lonely. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit lonely running so much of that like 10 year span running mostly alone, but I, I really needed to figure out where my head was with the sport. Um, I remember thinking for a long time, it's not worthy to invest in myself in running too, too much. Like it can be just the hobby. It's the thing that I do to decompress, but not to get too, too far into it because it is just a hobby. And once I figure out all the other things in my life and figure out the whole adulting thing, then maybe I'll, I'll figure out how I want to do more life balance, um, which is kind of a weird way to say it because now that I'm a mom of two kids, I think, oh, how balance, it's such a joke. Ah, what a myth. But again, I, I really needed to figure out how to, how to spark that kind of drive and confidence in myself, my ability to do multiple things in my day and in my life to be able to come back to it and say, well, you know what? I, I think I'm pretty good at figuring out how to be an adult. And by that, I mean, I'm okay with not folding laundry for three weeks and nothing's gonna, nothing's on fire. It's going to be Okay. And then say, okay, well, then what could I do with setting goals with my hobby? Um, I, I love calling running my hobby. I love calling myself a hobby runner because I think it's really powerful to be able to say that in coming full circle, I'm so much more confident in who I am as a person to be able to say that having hobbies is so helpful for discovering different aspects of myself, different strengths. And so I think to really fully answer your question, I have to say that taking the time out to focus on yourself, however it is, whether it's taking a step back from the running for a team thing and worrying about other people potentially like relying on you um, for a certain number of points in a competition, um, or just perhaps taking a step back from that activity in general or that sport in general, just focusing on the self and self-development is so powerful and so valuable. Now, did you have an aha moment that kind of allowed you to have that paradigm shift in terms of how you viewed all of this? Or was it kind of an evolution and all of a sudden you just found yourself in a new spot? I think running running alone for so long because it was pretty much a part of my everyday routine. It just became so natural to say, well, I'm just going to go out for my run today. I don't feel like I've had time to process my day without a run or to set myself up for a day with a run. I'm very much a run streaker um, where every day, whether it's for one single mile or for usually I think I feel pretty good with about 30 to 40 minutes of running, very easy running. Like that's my time to really either set up the day if it's early in the morning or to decompress from the day in the afternoon. Um, that's where I feel like, okay, my part of my day is complete. Check. I feel good. And because I did it for so long and because it just felt so natural to just do it, but not put pressure on myself to do anything special with it, that, that, aha moment, um, I, I want to say came about two years ago when I joined, well, I first started running with, um, my friend Meg and who I magically just by chance moved one block away from. And so we started running together all the time. And then she, she basically made me join Arte the, our running team. And then, so when I joined the team, I was like, okay, well, I've been doing this alone for so long. It's so much a part of my routine. I think I can handle how to figure out, do I want to race? Do I want to go fast? I'm, I'm just ready to have fun. I'm ready to enjoy this new chapter in my running. Now you sound like you have so much 
um, what is the word? There's just so much self-knowledge about how you are viewing all of this. Did it feel that way in the time or is this the benefit of reflection? I think I knew a little bit of it at the time. Um, I'm quite honestly, I, I respond well to goals. And so when I was 14 years old, I, that was when I said, I'm going to run a marathon. And because my cross country coach said something about Boston, I'm going to run Boston by the time I'm 25. Um, and I didn't actually, I, I think I was 26 when I actually ran it. Um, yes, 26 back in 2014 that I knew that I responded well to goals and I knew that much, but a lot of the, a lot of the new knowledge of how I am as a runner and what kind of goals are appropriate for me, I'm still discovering now, but the benefit is that I'm part of a team now where I feel I have this amazing network and support sounding board of really amazing women who are doing pretty cool things in their own lives outside of running that it just makes the conversation so easy to say, okay, so what's going on in your life? Awesome. Running binds us together, but it also is so great for setting goals in and outside of running that I honestly feel that I can talk to them, talk to my teammates about pretty much anything. And it's in those relationships that I feel that some of the the best ideation comes up around how do I set the best goals to be my best self in and outside of this sport that brought us together. And what, what do you do about setting goals in terms of juxtaposing that with embracing kind of the hobby runner mantra? Well, I think that it's really worthy to invest in yourself. I know that I struggled with that more when I was younger and that basically was because I just kept telling myself when I was younger, well, I'm just not good enough to, it feels so self-indulgent to be a part of a team and to do more than just sign up for races. And really what I see now is that there's this, there's just this amazing community out there of so many people who are struggling with the same level of imposter syndrome that I am, um, that we're all trying to figure out how do we figure how do we, how do we set the appropriate goals for ourselves? How do we, how do we strive for more, strive for better, um, for ourselves? And yes, running is something that brings us together. It is a hobby. We're not doing this professionally, but I fundamentally believe that what, what you choose to do with your time, any free time that you have is just so it speaks so much to what is important to you and if something's important to you also, I think that in of itself, it's, it's just so worthy of investment because it can, show, it can show you so much about how you can grow. And so I think about running and yes, it is my hobby. I love being a hobby runner and I, I love that label. Um, I know it's not, it's not always been treated as the best kind of label um, on certain kinds of running spaces, but I really embrace it because it is through this hobby that I've discovered so much of where my strength lies. And I figured so much of how much I can mentally push through really uncomfortable things, just through the physical act of running through really uncomfortable moments. Um, but it translates so well to other aspects of my life. And so I think that the way that we've all come together to really embrace um, what it is that we do in our very precious free time has been so good for how we are growing as individuals and then as a team, obviously. And when you're talking to somebody who is kind of weighing the possibility of either joining your team or just generally joining a team, how do you approach the, the idea of, all right, like, you mentioned this before too about like it being selfish to, you know, to, to go and do something, you know, in the running space. And, you know, that it's kind of feels like you're spending time on something as opposed to spending it in another way. And I guess it's just a long way of me saying in terms of why someone should join a team, why do you think it's important when we all have 
so many things, you know, pulling for our attention in our lives, especially if you know, we have jobs and spouses and kids and you know, an endless list of things to do. Why is joining a team something that would be valuable? Um, I think rather than use the term team, maybe using the word community, just plugging into a community um, is a better way of putting it. I felt like I was running alone for a really long time and I finally plugged into a community two years ago. And I knew of other people that were joining club teams and whatnot. And I thought, well, that's cool. That's great for them. Yay. But really what it comes down to is that I think everybody just really needs um, these opportunities to have people in their corner rooting for them. And whether that's with officially with a team or not is completely up to them. Maybe some people feel really comfortable plugging into social media and seeing that as their community, um, cheering for them, rooting for them. It's just so important to have people supporting each other in the tough things that they do, Um, whether it's through just the million things, as you put it, that pull for our attention, like rooting for the whole, like, yes, you're doing it, the parenting thing, you're doing great. Um, Yes, you're doing awesome at the the side jobs, the hobbies, the, the day jobs, right? Everything, just getting chores done. Sometimes I feel like I, I really need a support team to root for me there. Like, yes, you folded the laundry. Yes, you put the dishes away. Hooray, we have clean spoons. I mean, it's so nice to just have that positivity and that affirmation that I think that it's, it's worth it to invest in that. Um, it's really hard for me to take compliments or to root for myself. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, I get imposter syndrome too. Even with joining a running team, I thought, oh my gosh, do I have to be fast? Am I fast enough? What's the, what's the cutoff time? And the beauty of it is. Says the three hour marathon, sub three hour marathon are coming. It's it's amazing to me. It's it's so funny how we view ourselves sometimes. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, I look at you as someone who's incredibly fast. And it's so amazing that that was one of the things that was a potential hang up for you. Oh, absolutely though. Because I mean, there's always, I mean, my, this comes from the growing up and just hearing from my parents oh, come on, there's always somebody faster. That's what they would say. There's always somebody faster. And yes, it's true. There's going to be faster people. There are a lot of faster people out there. But I mean, again, just like there are so many things that we use as reasons or crutches to not do something, right? For a while, I was nervous about Arte because I was thinking, oh my gosh, am I fast enough? But with Mary and Melissa, founders, they're like, they're definitely faster than me. I'm so nervous. This is scary, you know, and there's so many reasons to not do something that having a community, having a pool of people that can really root for you, or even having one other person who can really root for you is really powerful. And I think that it's worthy. um, It's a worthy pursuit for people to figure out who are those people um, that are going to be rooting for them and investing in that. And adult friendships can be a hard thing. Absolutely. Because we have so much things, so many things pulling at us that it feels like you have those moments where you're like, you tell your friend like, oh yeah, let's get together soon. And like six months later, you're just sitting there like, oh God, I can't believe I never called that person or something like that. It just feels like oftentimes, I'm not going to put this on anybody else. For me, I feel like I have to be incredibly proactive in that space you know, just because it's like all oftentimes like the last thing on my mind, even though it is incredibly important. Right. I, I absolutely hear you on that. When I moved to, I moved to Boston with my husband back in 2014. It was like end of August, 2014. He was starting graduate school over at MIT. And I was, I quickly became the label of an MIT spouse or partner. And I was pregnant at the time. um, And I was incredibly lonely. And so for a good year, I want to say it was a good year that I felt lonelier than I had ever been, especially with navigating a totally different environment, um, just culturally, geographically and whatnot, but also because I was I was a new mom. I was a brand new mom at 26 and none of our friends that we had had 
my husband's friends, my friends, our combined friends, we were the only ones that had children. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, 26 is, 26 is pretty young. I am, and I am kind of on my own. I don't have family. I don't have my husband's family. And it was very scary. And yes, adult relationships are so hard. I remember going to some meetups for MIT spouses and partners. And I just remember thinking, wow, I suck at this. I'm really bad at making friends. What do I talk about? I don't know what to talk about. Do I talk, do we just talk about our kids? Um, yeah, my kid pooped today. It was a big one. <laughs> like that's not the best thing to talk about. Um, maybe not. And so I would second guess myself all the time about these meetups because yes, adult relationships are so, so hard, so hard. So do you feel like you put pressure on yourself to reach goals? Cause it feels like when I watch you from afar, that you obviously are a hard worker. You like just crushed like 2017. I think you PR did every single possible distance that you ran. And you, you obviously had one heck of a training period of time, however long that time was, but it seems like you approach running with a very, very level headed um, approach to use the same word twice in a sentence, but it, it seems like you, like I said, very level headed approach to running. Do you feel like you put pressure on yourself to reach certain goals because you do have exceptionally fast times and you're continuously improving? Well, I think a lot of the improvement stems from the fact that I haven't competed in a really long time. And so one of the things that I did in 2017 was I just, I signed up for a lot of races last minute. Um, I ran the sub three marathon at Santa Rosa only because Boston was such a disaster that year. So a little bit of background. I, I ran my first Boston marathon back in 2014, the year after the bombings and um, the bombing occurred in 2013 on my birthday. Um, Some of my friends knew that I had qualified for Boston and thought I was there, obviously wasn't. And I remember thinking, well, you know what, when I do go, it's going to be extra meaningful. And 2014 was an incredibly meaningful year. It was amazing to see how much just the city and all the, all the cities leading into Boston put so much effort into showing up for all the runners, but also for each other um, in this beautiful tradition that's been going on for over a hundred years. And I remember thinking while I was running that marathon, wouldn't it be nice to just do it over and over again? So I set a goal then um, pretty much as soon as the euphoria of running a marathon hit and the discomfort and overrode all the discomfort um, that I would continue coming, continue to come back and run consecutive Boston's um, till I got to the quarter century club, which is basically a list of people who have run the Boston marathon consecutively for 25 years and over. And so 27 year broke my streak of completed Boston marathons. I got a flu that my son had during the week leading up to the marathon. I didn't think anything of it because he just, threw up once and he was like, I'm good mom. And I, on the other hand, we landed down in Boston and within 12 hours, I was basically lying on the floor in a hotel, basically going, Oh, but the marble is so cool on my face. Cause I was burning up. I've been there. I know exactly how that feels. It's disgusting to say in retrospect, but in the moment you're like, this is perfect. Right. It just feels so good on my face. (laughs) Marble is the best thing for like, a 100 something degree fever. Um, But so because that marathon was disastrous, I obviously didn't run another BQ. So um, I, I begrudgingly signed up for another marathon. My plan before was like, okay, well, I'll just run another BQ at every Boston every year. And I only have to worry about one marathon a year. So I signed up for Santa Rosa on a whim because I was just upset. I was I had a 104 degree fever. I was in the hotel room in Boston, really angry. And I signed up for another marathon because I was like, I want my stinking BQ so I can come back every year. And now, unfortunately, I have to start all over. Counts back to zero and have to rack up another 25. So 
That's what it was. There you go. But you obviously had a, so a pretty good training base to work off of. Like how much after Boston was Santa Rosa? Um, so Boston, mid-April, Santa Rosa was the last weekend in August. Um, oh, okay. So completely different. So cycle. it was a so different cycle. Like, yeah. But I normally, I normally have a base of about 30, 35 miles a week. Um, like I said, I'm a run streaker. I just, I do this because it's my way of just thinking through my day. And so, yes, I'm really goal oriented. And obviously I cared very much about running Boston consecutively. I still do running Boston consecutively for as long as I possibly can. Um, but I also truly believe that if this isn't fun, I'll just take a step back from it again. If running isn't fun, if I get burnt out again, I'll take a step step back until I I find my joy in it. To use a Marie Kondo uh, culturally relevant term right now. There you go. So you're you're on you're on the you're on the tip of popular of like popular culture. <laughs> Look at you, like kids be damned. You're right there. You know what's going. I'm on. trying. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. <laughs> Connie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really insightful. I loved just just your perspective on so many things. And I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Connie, once again for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Also, big shout out to Mercury Mile for sponsoring all the episodes here on the Rambling Runner podcast. The presenting sponsor, also Megaton Coffee and Lowell Running Company. They sponsor the show because I believe in these guys and I couldn't be happier for them to be part of the Rambling Runner team. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, for rating and reviewing and doing all of those things. I love connecting with all y'all on Instagram as well. You can follow me at rambling underscore runner. And if you don't subscribe to the podcast, do so. Mine as well, right? Just pops right into your feed on whatever podcast app you use it's always nice just to get it right there um i know for me i listen to a lot of podcasts and if i don't subscribe i lose track and basically at this point if i listen to a podcast i I subscribe to it so feel free to subscribe again on any app that you use one of them is spotify uh some people don't realize that spotify has podcasts they do And if you already have your music on there, might as well get your podcasts on there as well. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And happy running.